and welcome to episode 13 of the V-Suit Podcast, the audio-only podcast that has declared on a day as hot as this, trousers should be optional. The number 13 is unlucky for some, as we've had a few guest issues, but we're hoping it's not unlucky for our guest on this show, the Sultan of SRM Futures, Mr. Mike Laverick. Hi Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yourself? Fantastic, fantastic. A little bit twisty, but uh, let's not go too far into that. Um, it's a very hot day in the UK. Um, hopefully uh, everyone else's aircon's working fine. Unfortunately mine isn't. So, um, it's, it's taken a while for us to catch you um, back in the UK. Uh, understand you've been sort of touring the world, um, telling um, all the, the user groups about the future of SRM. Yeah, I've been doing like a little uh, American tour this year. Um, started off in um, March, April time in San Diego. And I've been to the Charlotte V-Mug, Pittsburgh V-Mug, and I've just got back from the, the Indiana V-Mug. Um, because of my close association with the SRM team, I got the, um, the license to sort of talk about the future of a site recovery manager. Normally, you would have to sign an NDA or some sort of disclosure agreement um, to see that kind of roadmap. But um, as, as part of my job of for pimping unofficially SRM on VMware's behalf, they gave me the license to do that. Okay, so I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to hear this particular presentation of Mike's, and it's a great presentation. Um, and is it a case of you know it tells you a bit more than you'd get just browsing around the web, but probably not as much as much as if you were in a full NDA briefing? I think that about uh, sums it up. Yeah, that's right. It's a very high level view because there's so many um, changes in the product. It's difficult to talk in detail about the technical execution of some of those features in the time that you get on one of these uh, B mug slots. Yeah, they they are pretty fast and furious, and uh, the I think the the mug crowd are certainly sort of waking up to, um, you know, I don't think you can just get away with a couple of PowerPoint slides and um, you know something without any real bite to it. So you've got to deliver something punchy and quite quickly. Yeah, I'm hoping when the when the product actually GAs, I will be able to do more in the way of on-screen demos. Um, my idea is to set a recovery plan off, and while I'm doing the presentation, at the end of it, go back and say, oh, look at all the funky stuff that happened in the background, rather than watch people watching status bars and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably something that would make a nice, a nice wallpaper whilst you're presenting, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily want to sit there going, and now it's doing the recovery. And yeah, that's right. 15 minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, SRM is one thing. We can get into more details about that, I, I guess, later. But I'm, I'm kind of interesting in the, interested in the whole VMUG thing because uh, we don't have any local stuff here. So I, I haven't actually been able to go to, to any of those. So what's the uh, general... Uh, you, you've been to a few, Mike. Uh, what's the kind of general uh, thing that goes on in the, in the VMUGs for for someone who's never been to one. Sure. I mean, I go to the um, larger regional summits in the U.S., which are a much bigger affair than, say, um, the average VMUG that, that meets on a quarterly or bi-monthly basis. Um, so the bigger ones tend to have a solution exchange, not dissimilar to a VM world. In fact, some of them have grown so large, they're almost like being at a, a mini local VM world. Uh, many now have multiple tracks, so there'll be more than one speaker speaking at any one time. Um, so people can go to the one that is of interest to them the most. And generally, there'll be some sort of guest uh, keynote. Uh, nearly always, the opening part of a VMUG is a kind of VMware update, usually delivered by a VMware employee, which sort of talks about the new things they've been they've been doing. Um, and then there's usually a little bit of local colour. So, for example, at the Indianapolis VMUG, they had uh, computer games like the old Star ones that we might have played in the 80s, and also masseurs. You could have a, a head and neck and back masseur if you were feeling that the VMUG was being a bit too intense. Sorry, can I just get clarify that was head, neck, and back? Head, neck, and back, yes. Uh, Indiana is known for their massages, by the way, guys. Really? Yeah, no, no, I'm just screwing around. I mean, for example, at the New England uh, VMUG, they had a, a, lobster ba a lobster bake off at the end. Sadly, I wasn't able to get there because I had a commitment to be at the, the London VMUG instead, but next year I'm hoping to get to the, the Lobster Bake Off at the New England VMUG. Wow, so they are sort of 
you know, our, I've always sort of felt that the London V Mug um, had some, you know, I'd say it's got you know, more than its fair share of people who are really, really into virtualization rather than people who just want a day off work. Um, yeah, I think I think at the last straw poll there was something like. 20, 30, maybe even 40 be experts just in our crowd alone. And considering there's only usually about 80 to 100 people, depending on who shows on the day, that's a sizable percentage of people who would probably be regarded as VMware as, you know, hardcore virtualization people. Yeah, so I, I don't know if the, the London one is atypical um, of the some of the, the American VMUGs in that, you know, yeah, they're smaller, but, you know, it's very, very focused and the people there really do know this stuff. Sure, I think you you see it, see it the kind of more bi-monthly V mugs or the not these big regional summits you see more in the way of end users presenting and I think there was about two or three end user based presentations at the last London V mug alongside the vendors and the usual people who 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 show on the on the circuit. Yeah, uh, I like the end user presentations. I think that's you know one of the reasons why I started going to the V mugs because. As an end user, you you wanted to know well how are other people doing it, and sometimes you don't always want to ask just in case you you feel that well they're going to laugh at me if I say well oh. that, we that, 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 was, that was back in the day <laughs> <laughs> that was when I was, shy. It was a long time now you spend you spend your time laughing at other people now then I guess but <laughs> instead constructive criticism it's not laughing. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I hope as the VMUGs progress and mature is that we'll see more in the way of, of end-user um, presentations because that's what a user group should be about. It should be about the users. It shouldn't be just about vendors uh, talking about what they do and how they integrate or even just about VMware. It should be about the user group sharing best practices and experiences with each other. And I think one way to, if anybody runs a VMUG or is involved in a VMUG, one way to do that is to keep the sessions relatively short, just half an hour for a, an end user presentation. Because once you've done your hello, it's me, five minute or 10 minute stick, and once you've done your thank you very much, any questions, you're really only talking about 15 minutes or 20 minutes worth of real presentation. And I think that's important because most people don't do what I do. Is I'm kind of built a career about being a presenter as a, a former instructor. It's, it's a very small part of what they do. And so you don't want to intimidate users or make people feel like they've got to do an hour's worth of deeply technical information. It's you know it should be sort of jump in and jump out kind of presentations. I think. Yeah, sort of uh, the short ones. I mean, my first VMAG presentation was was pretty short, um, and I, I was pretty nervous um, as I know it was around the t same time Christian had to do one to a, a much larger conference, and uh, you know all credit to him for that. Um, and I, you know, I think. The, the, the VMUGs are generally a pretty friendly crowd to present to. As I've said before, most of them are there because they want to be there, not because they have to be there. So, And the chances are if they're sitting down in your session, they actually want to listen to what you've got to hear. That, Or you're probably that much more interesting than whoever else is presenting. Um, I found, found speaking at the smaller groups is actually perhaps a little bit more rewarding and you get more feedback when the group is 20, 30, 40, 50 people. Yeah. It's quite weird to actually present to like 300, 400 people because you don't actually get much feedback from the audience. So what I normally say is if I can see somebody laughing, one or two people laughing in the audience at one of my jokes, at least I know the audience isn't dead from the neck downwards or dead from the neck, neck upwards. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of the thing with the presentation. If not, I did as well. It was so many people there. I, I don't remember the exact amount, but a couple of hundred, at least two or three hundred people. Uh, and when the crowd get the, gets that big, you don't actually see anyone. It's it's kind of a, just a sea of people there. So you kind of uh, you have to focus on someone that you could look at uh, and kind of get some kind of feedback from. Because if you start looking around, you'll you'll find a lot of faces around there, but you, you won't actually be able to get a feel of how your presentation might be going. But, and and, uh, and but, the one guy in the crowd of 300 is like, why is this guy staring at me? That's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Probably yeah, a good a good tip from Ed. Change that person that you stare at. Probably, otherwise, you, you might well get into a fight at the end of the thing as to why you've been eyeballing somebody for like the last hour. Yeah, well, the, the three of us are, are not regarding Mike, but the three of other guys, we could we could uh, 
if we get in a fight, we, we stand a chance. <laughs> we're, we're big guys. <laughs> I have I have other people fight on my behalf for me, you see. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get my protection oh, squad, squad to sort them out. Yeah, your people talk to my people and that stuff, yeah. <laughs> Outsources post-presentation fights. Uh, but, but, uh, but by the sound, sound of it, it, it kind of resembles the uh, the V forum thing that VMware did uh, last uh, this year. Actually, I, I went to Oslo for that, and I was hugely disappointed with it back then because that was uh, there were no real uh, users presenting anything. There were only vendors, and all of it was just high level stuff that you could information you could get anywhere anyway. So yeah, there, I think there weren't that much value in it. Sure. I think it's a balancing act because the VMUGs are people who do them like myself and you know, a notable number of others are doing it for free out of their own good time. And it it does cost money to find a venue and potentially put on food and, and so on. So there's a balancing act between getting the sponsors in and making sure the event is covered and nobody's out of pocket and it being over dominated by the vendors. And I know of a user group in the in the north that when push came to shove, the guys were handing their own, putting their own pockets in and paying for the venue out of their own credit card because the sponsor hadn't ponied up the money just in time. And in the end, it all got sorted out. But it, I think it showed the commitment of those people that they were prepared to they use their own cash to make sure the event happened and was was a success. But I think that some of the bigger VMUGs now, from what I've heard, are uh, there's actually like a team of VMware employees that are helping get the sponsorship and stuff like that. You guys heard anything about that? Um, yeah, the global VMUG has what they're calling VMUG HQ, which behind that operation is an event management company. Um, and essentially the larger events, the sort of ones I'm going to in the US, they are run... I would say as a, a you know operational profit, and they obviously have to cover the expenses of people like myself coming out to to present. But I guess on a smaller scale, the the events that happen you know more frequently every month or every two, two months or every quarter, um, they they're being kind of arranged by the individual VMUG leaders using their own personal contacts to get get sponsors in. So there's a lot of legwork which. If you just attend, you probably never see, and if you ever end up running your own uh, user group or being on the steering committee, you'll see what an investment of time it is. Um, but the rewards are there in exchange for, for that effort and you know, recognition from your peers and the, the contacts you make and, and so on and so forth. It certainly hasn't harmed my uh, career to say I've been a, a member of the London Steering Committee, although I'm not directly involved now in the, the operation of that user group. Yeah, I, I know all the guys that are involved in it, you know, put a lot of hours in. Um, but I've kind of noticed probably in the last 18 months that, um, again, this is sort of within the fishbowl that is the, the London VMware scene. Uh, the VMware seems to be sort of taking a slightly um, slightly tighter leash on the VMUG. Um, whereas before it was very much, it felt run by users for users. It seems to now be run by users for users with a, a much heavier presence from VMware. I don't know. I, we, we don't have a local one here, so I, I wouldn't know. I, I would actually be uh, kind of interested in trying to get something like that started locally. But then again, the investment you have to do, uh, especially with uh, regards to time, might actually be a problem. Uh, and specifically, given that my current employer wouldn't see any benefit in me spending time on trying to do something like that. If I work for uh, uh, as a consultant or whatever, where my employer could potentially see some benefit in actually being a sponsor, that might be interesting. But given how much time and effort it, it takes, it, it's uh, it's hard to to uh, initiate and get something like that started, even if you are kind of interested in trying to do it. Yeah, I suppose so that it, it takes person. Yeah, you need to find the other three guys in uh, Norway that use VMware, don't you? Uh, yeah, there are, there are a few. <laughs> oh, sorry. My bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are two VMware experts and four users. That's all bad. <laughs> very, very dedicated. Very. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed, what's there in Switzerland for, you know, 
uh, user groups and that sort of you know, um, community interaction? There is absolutely nothing. Um, I, I started up a little VBeers. Um, I'm working on starting a little VBeers here. And I got I got maybe three four people that I wouldn't even expect, but it'll be maybe five people in total, and one guy is a Veeam employee, just as yourself there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think I know the guy you're talking about, but you know I guess from these things, great oaks from small acorns do grow. Um, that it'll start with five people, and the next time you do it, you might get six or seven, and yeah. it could. Quite, quite I thought I, I, you know, I have some, I'll, I'll go to work at the data center one day, which is right in the center of Zurich, and um, do a little work, and then afterwards just walk down the street to the bar and invite everybody to come, and it seems like, uh, seems like I got some turnout, but and mostly vendor, mostly vendor guys, but um, in Switzerland, they're too neutral to act like vendors even, so... <laughs> <laughs> So they won't actually commit to being a vendor. Yeah, they're like, oh no, no, I'm not a, you know, it's it's weird actually. But that that's, uh, yeah, it's neutrality goes into uh, into normal life. So <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I think I think uh, the the VBears, um website vbears.org that's uh, set up by. Uh, Simon Long and Simon Seagrave uh, is a, a really good free resource for anyone wanting to try and you know put together a gathering. Um, and I think these things just do start that way, just from a few like-minded people sitting around having a chat, and eventually, you know, you could you could be starting the next New England V mug with whatever it is local to you to boil at the end of the uh, end of the conference. Oh, and directly after I started setting up the. Uh the V-Beers in Zurich, I had a guy in Luzon, which is, that's maybe four hours away in the French-speaking part of Switzerland, do the same exact thing, like, right after my post. Wow. So, I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking he kind of saw it and said, yeah, I'll try to. No, yeah, why not? Yeah, that's cool. I think it's, it's, it's all about spreading the word. Um, mm-hmm. Although, I suppose sometimes you can get used to, you know, the world that you live in being, you know, is, is it just Twitter and the, uh, the MTN forums? Um, how do you actually reach out to uh, other other VMware users? Uh, you know, as I jokingly said to, to Christian that there's only sort of, you know, four guys that use VMware in Norway. Well, those are the only four I've heard of. So within my world, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it's true. Of course it isn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mike, how would you sort of go about trying to you know, publicize that beyond the general mediums of Twitter and the forums. Sure. I mean, I think one one source of maybe getting a VMUG off the ground is training companies and training generally because that's a gathering of people from very diverse backgrounds, large and small, different market verticals. Well, I mean, about 2007 or 2008, I had a go at trying to launch a VMUG in Ireland. Um, and that was off the back of doing two or three training courses down in the the Shannon area in the kind of um, North Atlantic Technology Park area and we, we managed to get a group going but uh, sadly because of the credit crunch I think some some of the initial uh, start of that kind of lost its momentum as people felt um, well I don't know I can't afford the time or can't afford the resources to do a VMUG but I, I think training courses might be a way of getting people together and the nice thing about a training company is that they generally have a venue and a place that people can gather and usually the infrastructure for presentations to be done yeah. and training companies will do that because they'll see it as a way of networking with their, the people in the local community as a way of kind of promoting the training company to to each other so I think maybe that's a route forward and um, what I would say about VMUGS is occasionally I've had vendors say well we don't know whether we can really afford to commit to this um, because of the economic situation and I usually say to them well look at it this way um, this is free marketing, and it's a way of you being out and about. Um, can you afford not to be involved in a VMUG is the way you should be looking at it, rather than the other way around? If anything, if times are tough, you have to work doubly hard to promote yourself and, and be out there amongst the community. So I think uh, training companies, I think, maybe could step into the breach a little bit. Uh, certainly, they have like lists of people that they normally market to to get training events up and running. The same list can be used to promote... Um, the launching of a VMUG and as long as it's in the hands of you know genuine customers and genuine users and not 
hijack for purely marketing purposes, yep. then that's all to the good. Yeah, I, th I think as you say, sort of try and keep it keep it sort of relatively marketing free. You know, obviously there has to be an element of it within these things. As unfortunately, you know, you have to dance with the devil a couple of times to to get basically to get the money to to host the VMUG because these things are, aren't free. Sure, and I think the important thing is is that when the VMUG gets started, if you get representations from vendors, is that you you can you know the steering committee can filter out. They can say uh, we want somebody who's from a technical background no marketing people because at the end of the day it's their user group they decide who speaks and on what topic so a little bit of filtering up front can can do an awful lot i think to make sure that the technical edge is there yeah what do you think about the rise of um i keep on seeing an awful lot of them and i don't know whether they're just that little bit sort of web 2.0 um the, the rise of what's been referred to as an unconference um so the big example of it i believe is called cloud camp where it's a gathering, but it's not a conference, apparently. Um, and the, you know, and they have sort of very much. Um, it's a very peer-to-peer -peer type forum, but they do have these kind of lightning speeches. So that, uh, I believe it's a five-minute or a three-minute. You know, you could just make one point and make it make it good um, in in a very short space of time, and it's it's sort of get you get a lot of, lot of information. Um, and it's just just information. You're not getting any sort of marketing spiel, and as a result, they they trim it down, and make it cheaper. Sure, I, I've not actually attended any of those. I'm tempted to go to the next cloud camp when it's on, just to see what that format is like. I've sometimes wondered whether it'd be nice to kind of have a um, beyond the fringe or fringe for VM world. Um, last year, I suggested the idea of a losers VM world, where people who hadn't had their session approved would have an opportunity to do it in a kind of informal forum, albeit cut down to like a 15 or 20 minute format. Just like you were saying, if you if you limit the time that people are allowed to speak, they tend to speak more to the point than they would normally. Um, there was talk certainly that of that this year at the um, tech field day that some of us were at. But uh, yeah. again, it's a, it's a difficult thing to get off the ground because it needs a sustained group of people all pushing in that direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting development um, because if you like, it's a, a complete antidote to the kind of vendor-based uh, events. It's definitely VMware VM world. It's not a virtualization event. It's a, a VMware event. And we have every vendor has their event during the calendar year, don't they? So it's very much about them and what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think perhaps that you know that, uh, VMware should kind of pass on if people have got a really good session, they should pass details of that person to their local user group and go. And say this guy had a really good uh, presentation, really good idea for something that a lot of people benefit from, but you know, it wasn't quite for VMware. But you know, why don't you get them in for your, your user group? And user, the user group leaders could then kind of draw from that pool of resource. That's an excellent idea. Perhaps that's yeah. something you should suggest to the global VMUG. Uh, I would say that you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because you know they've already got that infrastructure for having little conferences, and you're not having to, you know, people aren't going to have to spend the money traveling to not go to a conference, as it were. Yeah, that that would be be good for for anyone that might actually uh, be thinking of doing stuff as well, but not being able to to go to the world. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would like to do. Uh, session of, sessions at VMworld, but don't have the uh, the backing of their employers or whatever to do so, and and, and end up not submitting anything. Uh, doing something like that for a smaller user group style thing instead uh, might also be a good way to to train yourself to do at the VMworld as well. I think I think it is. It's it's a great sort of uh, forum for your your training training wheels, as it were. To, yeah. uh, to present to that type of uh, group and crowd. And I think it's worth mentioning that the way VMware now deal with submissions is is a lot more open than it used to be. So there was a voting mechanism last year. Uh, I think that repeated again this year. There was a voting. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas previously you would submit something and you would really have no idea whether you were going to be accepted or not, um, I think that voting process made VMworld itself a lot more de democratic than perhaps it's been in the past. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, it, 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 it seems that way anyway. Uh, 
I don't I don't think they actually publish any numbers uh, with regards to the voting and stuff. So we have to kind of trust them on that. But secret but, ballot, you see? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, uh, it seems to be a, a, a more open uh, way to do that now, and it used to be. But one of the things that are still pretty much under the lid as far as VMworld goes is the as the always uh, the, the the same speculation every year about which band will play at, at the VMworld party uh, yeah this is the important stuff about VMworld yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> which band is playing at the VMworld party and will Europe get screwed again <laughs> uh, that's basically the, uh, the idea we got Ab- ABBA tribute band last year that was uh interesting um <laughs> uh, a tribute band and then around at like 10 o'clock i'm like i'm gonna go get another beer and they're like we're closed and i'm like well, what do you mean and then it was like yeah. an hour an hour later and they're like yeah get uh, get out of here basically that was yeah. okay but <laughs> the, the thing we've got to remember is you know large numbers of of people who come from it mainly men jumping around and singing Dancing Queen is a recipe for being psychologically starry, I'm afraid to say. Uh, give Me a Man After Midnight was also a highlight there. Just disgusting. <laughs> but, uh, it's it's is... not the music to play to a 98% male crowd, really, is it? No. no. Not unless it's at a bar in uh, Amsterdam called, what was the name of that bar, Christian? San Francisco. The Blue Parrot? Oh, San Francisco. I should have known. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But you heard they did such good coffee. Yeah, well, this guy just told us away. (laughs) (laughs) Who who is the band this year? Does anybody know? Yeah. Everyone, basically. I think he knows it by now, but it's it's the Killers. And they're actually from Las Vegas, actually. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing Ario Speedwagon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> put your get your lighter put it up in the air um, yeah you know I'll let them think in like super group made of Toto Ario Speedwagon and hey. I don't know su- Survivor or somebody like that you know if they got Toto I would actually be impressed yeah well to- Toto played here uh, a month ago uh, did they draw a big crowd uh, yeah, a couple of thousand, I guess. But oh, they, they actually, no. uh, they actually play, they, they didn't play in Bergen, which is Norway's uh, second largest city. They played on a small island outside of Bergen, on a small local festival. Makes no sense at all. But um, last time I was in Bergen, um, Bruce Springsteen was playing in yeah. in town. But I could not get a ticket for love the money. He'd been sold out for many months. Oh yeah, he he played two consecutive nights actually, and both were yeah. sold out minutes. I was hanging out the uh, hotel, like trying to get born in the USA to drift across in my direction, but had no luck. I <laughs> the wrong side of the harbor, then I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But the the, the killers are, is interesting, but there's always this kind of uh, post-announcement debate on Twitter and everywhere else about is that good enough, or is, are they famous enough, or are they whatever enough? Uh, and there is there is absolutely no way you're going to make fourteen thousand people happy with a, one single band. There's no way. No, so, but I think uh, the important thing. I think the important thing is that we at least have a band that had a hit in this decade. That's <laughs> 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 true. I, I, I'm pretty sure Eric Siebert wouldn't agree with you, but but most of us would. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens in Europe. Though we'll probably get erasure or, or something oh erasure that'd be awesome german. <laughs> <laughs> she get some german to some follow up the people. or like some really weird german techno band would be cool. have a bit of craft work hey the parties at um at can were, were very much you know they were a fantastic event the music it was a little bit suspect, but the actual the way that the party was laid out, and uh, particularly the two, I believe it's the two thousand and eight one, was amazing. It was sort of all you had four different zones, and it, it was very very themed. Whereas you sort of get to Copenhagen, and it was a dirty great big warehouse. Well, um, there was a, there was a lot of people in in tights, like climbing up ropes and stuff. So yeah, yeah that was more cool. video game. You no, know, that was cool. 
And video games that you couldn't play unless you wanted to wait for three hours. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> and lots of really important technical information and best practices, too. <laughs> there were? At the party? Where, where were you standing? <laughs> In the nerds and... Yeah. <laughs> he was dancing along to the man of the midnight, I guess. Um... <laughs> Up on stage. Oh well. But um, yeah, speaking of other sort of uh, circuses that have gone a little bit wrong, um, V-Sphere licensing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh. I, I wrote a blog post on it, and um, I kind of I rescind some of the things I said because uh, I, I did, well, maybe only because of, I only care about my environment, <laughs> but <laughs> I did a scan, and everything seems cool, and then I hear all these, you see, here's the thing, I haven't, I, I've been offline a couple days, I don't know if the rumors have been made official yet or not. No, tomorrow, uh, VMware is announcing something tomorrow, or, or Wednesday, I don't know when we're going to put this out, but tomorrow, uh, Wednesday the 3rd, is suppo- VMware is supposed to be so what are the nature of these rumours, much though I don't want to be party to spreading speculation and, and misinformation around on the internet <laughs> they, they seek, without going into the specifics of them, because I, I'd hate to be quoted as something that was wrong unlike yeah. Microsoft might be um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's essentially the what we believe to be a draconian restriction on the allocated memory per CPU licence may well be relaxed a tad and potentially a cap on the amount of um, sort of vCPU that any given virtual machine can take off your license. Yeah, the the Uh, VRAM, not CPU. So if you had a very, very, you know, the uh, quoted monster VMs that it would not eat monster license, it would only eat, you know, it it would be capped at a maximum. Yeah, Yeah, the rumours are that Basically, that that the initial announcement uh, values might be increased, and there might be some cap on the actual uh, licensing requirements for so, larger VMs. So, are we talking more VRAM for your book than the original announcement stated? Yeah. It yeah. would seem that would be the flavor of it. That, that's what all the rumors are saying, but they might all come from the same place, which. Uh, we don't know what is, so we'll have to wait until Wednesday or when 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 we put this out. It's probably been announced anyway, but uh, it it looks like that might be the might be the case if the rumors are true. Yeah. We should record two versions. Actually, we should record the oh, didn't I wish they were going to um, you know change that VRAM thing and fantastic they changed the VRAM thing. Um, yeah, but you covered both now, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just you know, edit out. Mentally is to to which bit? So I was right essentially. Yeah, yeah I think I'll, I'll just edit it that way, and it'll just weirdly fit into the middle. Fantastic. No, no real, no real. F- <laughs> it'll be like watching Dora the Explorer. You always choose the right. I think Ed hit the nail on the head, though. That a lot of people's initial reaction was quite negative, and then folks started to use these various PowerShell, PowerCLI scripts out on their environments, and. A lot of people have come back to me and went, well, it's not that bad, actually. Um, I'm not heavily affected. And certainly talking about VMUG, certainly the attitude within the London VMUG was very philosophical. There wasn't, you know, there was nobody there going, oh, I'm, I'm off to Hyper-V, I'm off to Zen. People were like, mm, well, you know, it is what it is. Um, I guess the worst thing you could say is, is that the way the announcement was actually handled uh, could have been a bit better. I, you know, when yeah. you're doing a product launch, is that necessarily the best time to talk about SKUs and licensing when that could have been pricing and packaging to be disclosed at a later date? Well, yeah, that they, and they, it's mishandled. That, yeah. and they kind of put it at the very end in a marketing guy, and he didn't really, wasn't very clear. He just said, and eh, this license is going to be like this, and goodbye, and they shut off the camera. <laughs> I was kind of like, what? <laughs> But I've got an analogy for this licensing thing, which is um, let's let's take an analogy of cars and gasoline. If tomorrow a car vendor came out who built a car with an engine that could do a thousand miles on one gallon worth of fuel, what would that do to the business model of the gas stations and the people who take the oil and refine it into gas? They'd have to completely change the way they price their 
product. And I think we're kind of reaching that tipping point in the world of CPUs. You know, for generations, decades even, products have been licensed by CPU, even though that resource has usually absolutely nothing to do with the way you could see the product. You know, backup te technologies licensed by CPU. Like, what gives? I guess, you, um, and so I kind of feel that VMware have probably got more um, negative flack in this because they're probably the first vendor to sort of go in this direction. But uh, it's not like Moore's law was particularly new, you know, CPU clock speeds grow, you know, every 18 months. But with the ever-increasing number of cores, it became clear to me that customers would be, you know, ramping up the amount of memory they've got in the box. And at the end of the day, VMware would be seeing less revenue, you know. And I don't know about you guys, but I've got VMware shares, uh, either directly or indirectly through the funds I invest in. And I want to make sure that company carries on making a decent profit because, you know, that's what shareholders and that's what companies are all about at the end of the day. I don't know, think I'm going to make myself very popular stating this, but it, it's a reality of the market at the end of the day, isn't it? Is uh, To continue with that model, though, uh, should the petrol station look to be selling a different commodity? Uh, in that if you know fuel fuel and the hypervisor and selling hypervisor licenses isn't making money well do you start looking at making money from the management and making money from th from the third party products that, you know the um, the complete wrapper rather than just that single hypervisor component and I know VMware have been been pushing it at um, you know all of their their various ancillary products to to big sphere, um, um, but perhaps they should try and, you know, sort of acknowledge that you're going to make less money from the hypervisor, but you can make more money from, you know, the hosting of it and you know, find alternate alternate revenue streams. I mean, I think you're right. That's true, but it's difficult to make that change overnight, especially if you're used to getting decent revenues from your the gas that you sell. Yeah, and, but it's not know, like that revenue's changed overnight. It's been it's it's a gradual process. So yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think going. you know, I don't know what the percentage vSphere actually contributes to VMware profits because I'm not privy to that kind of information. I don't think many of us are. But I, I wouldn't surprise, be surprised if it was easily more than 50%, maybe even more than 80%. So it's hard for VMware to get into the position they want to be in or may need to be in as the market changes because they've got to grow the other end of their businesses to such a degree that they can afford to take that that hit, if you like. I mean, if you want to take the, the gas station analogy, there are lots of gas stations in the U, in the UK closing down because they can't make a profit out of selling the gas and they've been, they've been caught out. So, yeah, diversification is something that I think VMware is doing, has done, will do, but it's hard to get there, um, especially when your core business is coming from, you know, that core product. You know, you yeah. can't run a gas station just on selling the beer and crisps. Do you get beer in gas stations? Um, selling, you know, liquid refreshments. Only good ones, Chris. You know. <laughs> Not in Norway. No. Not no in way. Norway. Like, <laughs> maybe, that's why you do, do the one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in Switzerland, beer is still a mainstay in the gas stations here. Fantastic. Only thing and that's open you, on a Sunday that sells beer. And I guess the other thing you've got to acknowledge is, is that there is going to be a significant 5 to 10% people who will be affected, you know, that people who have got you know, large amounts of memory, they're heavily saturating their ESX host, they're sweating that asset, and they're not going to come out so well in this. We mustn't forget the the minority who might not do so well out of the license change. But what I've been saying, Marcus, you, know, you need your SNS on a certain yearly basis or whatever it is, you know, there's always a deal. And we all know, you know, when you look at the hardware vendors and the massive discounts they offer, you know, people don't pay unless they're really small fry, you know, small to medium-sized business, people don't play the list price. They play what they can negotiate with the vendor. So, you know, I think we won't actually see how this falls out until probably sometime next year as people get round to rolling out the new platform because it's it's not like we can all upgrade to vSphere 5 the day at GAs. It's, it's a, a working process over a number of months, sometimes even years, to get from one version of a platform to another. Yep, yep. Um, I think I think some of the uh, the uh, the reactions we've seen to this is uh, probably overstated because people didn't quite understand what was going on, and then possibly VMware going back and refining it based on user uh, and uh, user uh, experience or user feedback. 
uh, which makes sense if they end up doing that, that they were just testing the waters uh, in, with regards to trying uh, uh, to change their licensing uh, method over the next years. Sure. So I mean, I, I think try to like measure the, uh, test the waters a bit. Sure. I'm sure what we'll hear sometime tomorrow or next day, I forget when this announcement is going to be, is VMware has listened to its customers because yeah. we listen to our customers. You know, that all the big corporates do this, don't they? They like to yeah. listen to their customers. And then by listening to them, they realize that they need to make some changes, some alterations. Yeah. And that's how it will be, be pitched. But, I mean, better an organization that listens to the one says, if you want to run our database platform on a hypervisor, you must license for every single socket. <laughs> you know, try I that on side for licensing. <laughs> There are vendors that say that? Yeah, mm. I mean, anybody care to mention who they may be? <laughs> Never heard <of> <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, but I think the, the, uh, the general thing is that this is a kind of a pre-warning of what's going to happen in the future anyway. And this is just a way to get us, the, the users and the, uh, the community at large, uh, to actually recognize that this is the way uh, things are going to be moving on forward uh, anyway. Sure. I think it might have been helpful if we, it's funny how VMware started off with the per socket licensing and then there was a little bit of a dabbling with per VM and that still sticks with some products like SRM for a case in point, but then <clears> with <throat> other platforms they've gone for this memory approach and I think often the licensing model that retail customers live under is usually a couple of months or a year behind what the service providers are, are doing. So the service providers were on per socket, then they were moved to PM uh, per VM, and then recently moved to uh, a per gigabyte model. And I think if you want to see what's happening with licensing, if you can keep in touch with the service providers, you very often see them move before retail customers move um, in terms of you know the general platform. Yeah, that seems seems fair enough. Um, and it is sort of kind of moving to that consumption-based model, which you know that's kind of how you're going to charge for your private cloud. Um, and that as long as they, you know, they've done done some extrapolations in that, yes, they might have calculated that everybody now was covered. Um, what about everybody when it comes to maybe about 12 months' time when their SMS contracts are up? Are they still going to be as covered? Um, and I don't know whether people are kind of factored in some of their growth when they're doing their calculations and saying, yeah, we're, we're all right. And that's possibly why there may, may or may not be um, a slight change, because someone's realized, hang on a sec, we probably need to extrapolate forward 12, 18 months, because, you know, what's going to ha be happening hardware 12, 18 months, you're going to have, you know, 16 gig DIMMs are going to be affordable. So memory is going to go jump up again. Um, and, you know, you're going to be paying that much more for your machines. Um, that said, I, th I think the the ultimate cap is is probably the the best idea that I've heard. Um, that you say a machine cannot consume any more than X amount of allocated VRAM for licensing purposes, even though you've given it the entire um, amount that the server has. I mean, if I can come back on that, two things that I would say is. If this change to VRAM licensing leads to people actually right-sizing their VMs instead of doing <laughs> what they do at the moment, which is over-allocating them to keep their application owners happy and, you know, ah, we'll give it an extra two gig, it's all delivered on demand, who cares? Then if that kind of uh, focus uh, helps, and that's a good thing. And the other thing I would say, isn't it strange how we look at these resources? I mean, like, if going back to the gas argument... You know, that's a declining resource. It's a, a ready market for people who want it. Um, you don't see uh, people who, you know, buy gas going, oh, well, I, you know, I need to think about my consumption of gas in the next 18 months, and I need assurances that the prices won't go up in the next 18 months. You know, it's funny how when we consume IT software or consume IT hardware, we have a totally different view on that compared to the way we consume other uh, other things in the marketplace, you know. Yeah. Other, other um, utilities, because you know that that is the whole, you know, the panacea of utility computing, as they call it. Yeah, I mean, look at the utilities in in our own country, uh, Chris, who have raised prices by twenty percent uh, because that's what the market is for energy. You know, yeah. uh, we don't have a kind of free market in 
in IT because it's difficult because you commit to a particular vendor and that commits you for some years uh, in advance. It's not like you can easily, you know, uh, like dialing up your electricity or gas supply saying, well, you know, I'm going to switch because they're offering me a better tariff. You know, it, it's harder to, to move for obvious reasons. You know, it's infrastructure that you're talking about. Yeah, and, uh, and management or at least upper management doesn't see it in the same way. At, le at least I, that's my experience. You know, it's a, they know that the price on power or cooling or whatever varies with the season. The prices go up and down and, and depends on a lot of external factors that you can actually uh, influence in any, any way uh, yourself. But they demand that IT costs are predictable over time and, and they know what something costs to buy it and then difference or, or spread that cost throughout the uh, the operational time of the the equipment or, or software or whatever uh, so right now at least the, uh, as I see it in my company is that management doesn't see IT as a utility at all it's uh, uh, something they need to be able to do their business but they don't see it as a, a, a utility-based thing that could fluctuate in price. And that there, the problem VMware has is that if, if they want to move to that kind of space and do cost based on that, we as IT people who choose their uh, products, we need to get our management uh, people on board on the same model. And that takes a lot of time to kind of persuade people into that that's the future of, of computing. Even though we technically understand it, it, it doesn't mean that the business understands it. No. And I guess that kind of reflects the kind of way IT is currently format uh, finance. It's financed through yearly budgets and if necessary yep. one-off purchase orders. Yep. So people, you know, it's very much driven by finance and accounts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, can we get this signed off and approved? Yep. Rather than uh, a pay-as-you-go kind of model or even uh, on a year-by-year -year basis or whatever we're going to um, you know measure our requirements and doing it that way but uh, uh, that mentality of a kind of command control model uh, not market-led economy is pretty well rooted in in the minds of the way most people think they do IT and I, mm. I personally think you know this clown thing utility model will probably need a generational change it will need a brand new set of people coming up behind me and, and you guys who are outside of that culture who perhaps look at the way we do things and go why do you do it this way because there is a yeah, tendency look at the dinosaurs we, yeah we yeah. Just a tendency to turn around and go well because we always have what's your problem um, yeah. and if you don't want to be a dinosaur then you need to question your assumptions question the things that you do why are we doing this well rather than just saying well it always has and I, I've worked for many companies where the answer where and I've said I've been pushing them I've been the eager beaver you know why do we do it this way oh, well we always have all right okay well you can't argue with that can you it's got yeah. its own impervious logic that's true but also we need to talk about SRM um, we did we have Mike here. We have to talk about SRM. We can't just talk about licensing and bans that be involved. So, what can you tell us about the new SRM versions? What's going on? What's uh, what are you presenting to over the mugs that we don't know? Okay. Well, the main thing I'm presenting is uh, you know the new features that are coming SRM in this year. What you'll be able to get your sticky paws on, install, or actually use. And then there's a back-end part of my presentation, which I tend to leave it optional whether the uh, guys at the VMUGs want to see it, which is about SRM as it relates to the cloud, because some people are turned on by the cloud, some people are turned okay. off because it always feels like it's jammed tomorrow. In, in this hazy, cloudy future, this is what you'll be doing. So, I mean, talking about hard features, uh, massive improvement in scalability, uh, the ability to run 30 recovery plans simultaneously, uh, up to 3,000 VMs can be protected, where previously it was 1,000. Uh, vSphere replication, VMware doing replication for you, if you so wish. Uh, a more automated fail-back and fail-over process, which is much neater and much quicker than it ever was. Ability to uh, express dependencies between virtual machines. Mm -hmm. And a faster, quicker engine for re-IPing virtual machines than we've ever had before. Okay. Uh, what brings to mind 
to me, uh, for me at least, when you go through that list, that's the VMware replication stuff. I mean, protecting 3,000 VMs or 1,000 VMs uh, in my environment uh, doesn't really matter. I don't have that many. Uh, most Norwegian companies won't have that many anyway. So you wouldn't hit, hit the 1,000 limit uh, in the first place. But do, doing replication with vSphere, that's interesting. Really interesting, actually. Sure. I mean, to answer that question quickly on scalability, I mean, I say that to people, you know, these numbers may be largely theoretical, heck, yep. the configuration maximums normally are. But where they become significant is if you're a service provider who wants to offer SRM yep. as a service. Yep. That's where the scalability counts. But to answer more directly your vSphere replication, I mean, the joke I always have when I do the vMug is, why does VMware want to get into replication? And I said, the answer is to really annoy their storage partners. And every, <laughs> everybody laughs at that point. But we all know that there are uh, wonderful, though, array-based replication is, you know, from NetApp or EMC and the others, there are often boundaries. I mean, the first one being cost. You know, not everybody can afford the same equivalent array. But even if you talk about enterprise environments, the use of the arrays can be so massive that it's a work in its own right just to getting them on them on the same firmware levels signed off and approved for something like SRM. And then if we talk about third parties, you know, if I want to outsource my DR to a third party, there's no guarantee that they will have the array that I happen to have. You know, I might have EMC, but they have NetApp. I might have HP, but they've got Falcon Store. So I think um, vSphere replication is of interest to everybody, down to the SMBs and SMEs who've historically been locked down of that uh, replication up to and including the enterprise uh, companies. Not least, I mean, if you can uh, create an appliance and start doing replication and protecting without even speaking to your storage people, for a lot of VMware guys, that's, that's a boon in its own right. Not having to speak <laughs> to storage people is a good thing. And it would probably make a lot of storage guys really angry. Wow, you know, it pushes and shoves, doesn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of... <laughs> In terms of, of replication, if you want to talk about scalability, it's been tested up to a thousand VMs, the vSphere replication. But if you have meaty, grunty VMs that produce a lot of IOPS, it is a scale out solution as well, which means you can have multiple appliances handling the replication and then make sure that you kind of uh, span your IO. Uh, one thing I've been looking at uh, this week, and it's a bit tricky because I've got a lot on my plate is whether the new uh, vSphere storage appliance and the vSphere replication engine work together because there you've got a kind of perfect storm solution for any SMB. The ability to share out uh, storage cheaply and get support from, from VMware with a clustered NFS system and at the same time from the same vendor, or we can replicate that stuff as well and protect it. I think that's quite a compelling story for VMware to come to the market with. Yeah. Although aren't there some confusions around that? Because, as I understand it, it's only being sold with essentials. So it's only designed around that three-host model. So unless you can then replicate from one essentials install to another, how's how's that going to work? Or unless you have you have two hosts in your primary site and one host in your secondary site? As I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't looked closely at the uh, SKUs. The vSphere replication feature will be available to all levels of SRM enterprise and downwards. Um, oh, sorry, I was thinking about the virtual the storage appliance. Is it limited to what SKU you can run it on? I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I, I, I probably only sort of skim read some of the pricing and the way it's being released, but it, it seems to be sort of pitched at the, at the essentials customers. All right, okay. Because it's not part of vSphere, the VSA, and it's separate, sold separately. Uh, it's a separate, separate cost. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised to hear that VMware would narrow its market to just SMB when they could potentially open that market up to, you know, what about robo sites for large enterprises? Maybe they would want yeah. want that. It seems odd that they would freeze them out in that way based on a SKU, yeah. but I must admit I haven't looked closely. Oh, yeah, I'll well. have to reconfirm and we'll, po we'll post up the definitive answer in the show notes for that one, I think. Yeah, because that's what, what's interesting for me as well. That I, I have a lot of uh, remote sites uh, running small VMware hosts. And getting replicated data back to the data center from them would be uh, worth a lot for in, in our case. But there is no way I can do that now with array-based uh, replication between all the sites. We don't even have uh, necessarily uh, 
any sun solutions on the remote offices at all. So doing this through uh, VSA or just applications somehow would make a lot of sense to us. So sure. We need, we need to check that. Yeah, we've got to remember as well that VMware isn't the only game in town. There's Zero RT, um, Zero Two, yep. uh, Zero, Zero Two, who have our application appliance, and of course, uh, people like Veeam and Vision Core yep. with their uh, replicator and vReplicator technologies have been shipping uh, VMs around for a while. I think what's different here is that it's coming from, you know, where people historically sort of think that technology could come from, and I think. If VMware can sort of couple the two products together and make it tr attractive to the SMB market, and the critical thing will always be pricing because it's always more mm. price sensitive when you're dealing with a robo or when you're dealing with a, a true small to medium sized business, you know. But yeah. there's certainly opportunities there to be investigated, I would say. Yeah, so I, I think, again, it seems to have what I would describe as a, a fairly high street price uh, for the virtual storage appliance. You make it sound like a drug for <laughs> some people. Like, for some people. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's quite a high price, and you you sort of start to question. Well, hang on a second. If it's of equivalent price to buying the the HP left hand version, or buying um, Starwind SAM and running some Windows boxes, or I believe they're Starwind are launching appliance, which is the same sort of thing. Um, you know. Surely VMware could quite easily price those out the market um, and make it almost free. Uh, well, yeah, they'd be competing really well with their partners on that one. But, but you know, they could absolutely blow the water out of uh, the, the virtual storage appliance market. Um, and I do kind of wonder, sort of, why haven't they? Why are they trying to sort of compete price-wise? Sure. I mean, I'm not perhaps the best person to talk about what the market can take in terms of price. Um, I think maybe there may be an element of um, people who want to buy everything from VMware and they're not particularly keen on the idea of blending various technologies from different vendors together, though personally I think if you work in IT, that should be your meat and drink, blending solutions together. And I think that's been a pitch that VMware have used before, the, oh, our customers just want to buy stuff from us, that's why we're competing with our ecosystem. Sure. Um, I mean, a good a good example of that, I think, is you know VMware entering the backup uh, arena with the the, um, the and that data recovery appliance hasn't been as popular or hasn't had the same take up as you know people like Veeam and Vision Core and others in the market space because it wasn't as mature. So what you might see is people going for the more mature virtual appliances because they'll have confidence that they've been you know uh, been using they've been in the field for a while. Yeah. Yeah, there is that, and but also, so why would you? If they had a really low entry cost in it, you'd be driving up sales of vSphere itself because you're driving the adoption of it. Um, and it's, it kind of brings me back actually to a rumor again. This is, I'm sure, it's not uh, not true, but you can kind of understand the the thought behind it of uh, about Microsoft that Microsoft wants to sell SQL licenses and Office licenses, and their entire product set is hinged around selling SQL licenses and Office licenses to make Microsoft money. Um, so, you know, SharePoint drives a lot of Office and a lot of SQL, for example. That's why it stores all of its data inside SQL and not on a file store. Um, so, VMware could take a similar sort of approach and give really low entry points for some of their ecosystem products to drive that, that vSphere sale, if that vSphere SKU is the money maker. Mm. I think you're right. I think also what we l would like to see is or something, something I would like to see is a SKU for SRM that's designed for small to medium sized businesses. And this is something I've been saying at my presentations. You know, SRM for some time has been the sweetie in the jar that everybody wants to get their hands on. But the sweetie in the jar has been at, at the top of the shelf and it's not been accessible to a vast majority of customers. Now, I can't speak for VMware and their pricing and some of that hasn't even been announced yet. But uh, it's something I would really like to see, especially with this vSphere replication, because despite what I said about the enterprise, it's clear to me that the biggest market for this is the small to medium-sized enterprises. And on the other subject of uh, SKUs, if you do want to run a dedicated DR location that doesn't provide a production load, that, that 
ESX and virtual center environment has to be licensed at the same rate as your uh, production location. So I think some imaginative work around pricing and packaging. There's a good way of imaginative work. How about that? Imaginative work around pricing and packaging of that because there is certainly imagination around VMware View where there's a specific skew for consuming virtual desktops which allows you to get your pause on vSphere Enterprise Plus so long as you meet the terms and conditions around that SQ, which is only virtual desktops or ancillary server VMs that are only providing the virtual desktop environment. I think if somebody got their thinking caps on in, in VMware, they could start to invent SKUs of the very type you're talking about, Chris, that facilitates and accelerates the adoption of other technologies, but it makes it easy to get your foot on the ladder. Indeed. I think yeah, the biggest criticism about licensing with SRM is, is that it's it's relatively cheap for your first 75 VMs, but once you get beyond your 75 pack, the prices start to go up. Um, so that's sometimes a tipping point for some people, which kind of weirdly, there is already a small, medium-sized business skew for SRM, which makes the first 75-odd VMs relatively cheap to protect, but then it goes up the more VMs you have because it's per VM licensing again. So wherever we go, we rub up against licensing and customers will think imaginatively about ways of reducing their licensing costs wherever possible. Indeed. Hopefully hopefully, uh, a little bit more than just not paying it. Uh, <laughs> well, isn't that what most small businesses do? Well, it depends on what, depends on what country is that small business is in. <laughs> Uh, if they're in Greece, basically, yeah, they don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys get to pay that. Yeah, they, they wait for the Germans to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and being old men, we know that small is a relative, uh, a relative statement because a small company in the US is, is actually very large compared to a, a small company in the UK, but I guess everything's bigger in the United States, isn't it? It's bigger, best in China, including the VMworld bands. <laughs> <laughs> well well guys uh with that in mind episode 13 we finally got it in the can thanks a lot to mr mike laverick thank you very much for coming on tonight you're welcome and um we will you can check us out on stitcher uh itunes and or www.vsoup.net thank you or you can drop the w's yeah that too bye-bye yeah <laughs>